Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Well, good morning, uh, Journey Church. I'm so glad to be here with you again. And I want to welcome in those at the Lake County campus and those also that are listening online. I'm so glad to be with all of you again. I've, I've had a great opportunity over the last several years to build a relationship with you and have taught here on multiple occasions. I've known Pastor John for years, and over the last couple years, I've gotten to know Pastor Dustin as well. So love your church. I'm so glad to be back with you. If, if you have a Bible with you today or an app of some kind, turn in that to, to Mark chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, uh, you'll find Mark near the end of the big book. It's right after a book called Matthew, and then there's Mark and chapter 4. We'll make sure to have the verses up here on the screens for you as well, wherever you may be listening or, or tuning in from. But while you're getting to Mark chapter 4, I have something very important I need to say. And to you, the entire Journey family, I just want to say a very, very big thank you. As they mentioned, that uh, my name is Jamie, and I'm the pastor of SoFlo Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, but what you may not remember, it was a year ago that my wife and I moved from Northern Kentucky, uh, Cincinnati area, down to West Palm Beach with the dream in our hearts of starting a, a brand new church. Uh, West Palm Beach is one of the most unreached regions in our entire country. Uh, there's about 4% of the people there that are involved in a gospel-centered church. And so God uh, said, hey, I want you to go and plant. And listen, listen, I told you this last year, but transitioning from the banks of the Ohio River to the shore of the Atlantic Ocean, it was a very, very big sacrifice, but someone had to do it, okay? We did that. But listen, we knew when we went that it would take some incredibly generous partners to make this dream come reality. And you, Journey Church, have been one of those incredibly generous partners. And I want to say a very big thank you to you. You're praying from a distance and you're giving from a distance, but the impact you're making is incredible. There's so many stories I could tell you about what Jesus is doing in the lives of people. I want to ask for your prayers too. Our grand opening as a church, SoFlo Church, is September the 18th in just a few weeks now, okay? So please be circling us in prayer, asking God to do big, big things that we'd get an overwhelming response uh, from the community there in the West Palm Beach region. So thank you so much for your generosity and your prayers and your kindness. We're so grateful for that. We couldn't do what we're doing without you. We wouldn't want to even try. Now I could go on and on and on about SoFlo Church and all that God is doing, but I think they're wanting me to teach while I'm here. So we will get to Mark chapter four. A few weeks ago, you began this brand new series of messages called The Goat. And you've been taking a really close look at Jesus. And, and just to clarify one more time, uh, the goat, it means the greatest of all time. So if you've been a little uh, offended that we've been comparing Jesus to ragtag farm animal, you can take a deep breath and relax. That's not what we're doing at all. If you're still uncomfortable with comparison between the goat and Jesus, you should email Pastor John. He would love to hear from you, okay? Now, listen, we, we live in a society where superlatives are handed out very, very easily. We're always talking about the, the best this and the, the best that, whether it be coffee or an athlete or a team or, or a show. It's always like, well, this, this is the, the best one. And, and you know this, we live in a participation trophy era. Everyone gets a prize. 
Everyone gets a trophy because everyone's special and darn it, everyone is talented. And so that's the kind of culture we live in. And, and we can all have opinions about that being reality, but it is a reality. And so in a culture where, where superlatives and, and labels and, and trophies are so easy to come by, a phrase like the goat can really begin to lose a little bit of shine, a little bit of luster. Recently, I, I Googled that phrase, uh, the greatest of all time. And in less than one second, there was about one billion responses, okay? And, and I didn't have time to read all of those, but, but I read articles, and then there was artists and, and comedians and entrepreneurs and, and, and athletes, of course. And here's what I quickly found out, that these days, pretty much everyone and everything is the greatest of all time. Everything is the goat. And, and so because the goat is, is so common now, I just want to be really, really clear in this series what we mean when we refer to Jesus as the goat. What we mean is that Jesus is the greatest of all time. He, 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 he's, not, he's not one of the greatest of all time. He's not on the, the list of the greatest of all time. No, he's the, the greatest of all time. There's, there's never been anyone like him before. There'll never be anyone like him again, ever, ever. And, and when people are having these you know, debates and conversations about, well, well, who's the goat? Is it this guy or that guy or this gal or that gal? What they start doing is, is talking about accomplishments and, and accolades, trying to build the resume. Oh, this is the greatest. And really, that's what we've been doing in this series is talking about Jesus, who he is and, and what he's done and what he's capable of doing that, that totally separates him and sets him apart from anyone who ever has lived and anyone who ever will live. And, and as we just continue in this series, I want to make this really, really clear. Like the purpose of this series is not that you would just like revel in his greatness, but that you would know his goodness. Jesus doesn't want you to be impressed by him. He wants you to be empowered by him. He doesn't just want you to know about him. He wants you to know him. What I'm telling you is this series is, it's not about information. This series is all about transformation. So Mark chapter four, we're, we're gonna spend just a few minutes talking about Jesus as the goat in regards to power. Mark chapter four, verse 35 says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. So, so here's the scene. Jesus and his followers, his disciples, they've just finished up another long day of, of work and ministry and being in, with people. And, and now they're setting out to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, you need to know this about Jesus. He, he's not one of those pastors that got like a private jet and a Bentley and a motorcade. He's not one of those dudes, okay? Like, uh, be careful about those dudes. No, he, he did all of his traveling by feet or on donkey or in a boat. And, and so they're traveling in a boat now. And, and when we say boat, it's not this like gigantic, luxurious yacht that I'm used to seeing down in West Palm Beach. No, this boat they're in, it's like a it was thrown together by some carpenters and they wanted to do some fishing. It's a dinghy, okay? They're in a dinghy, all right? So they're in a dinghy, they're, they're, they're setting out and, and he and his disciples, they start rowing to the other side and we're told some other boats are following them. Now, now we can ask, well, who's in those other boats? Let me tell you first, who's not in those other boats? Who's in those other boats is not his security detail, okay? He, he did not have like the first century version of the secret service that, that are watching his back all the time. We got our eye on Eagle One, okay? Everyone watch Eagle One. No, he didn't have that at all. Like the people in that boat or in those boats, it's, 
It's paparazzi is what it is. They, they didn't have smart cameras. They, they didn't have phones, but, but they're, they're chasing after Jesus. See, the people in that day, they were enthralled with Jesus. They had never seen anyone like Jesus. Have you? And so they always wanted to be close. They wanted to hear what he was saying and, and see what he was doing. And he was wildly popular with the people. They didn't want to miss out on anything. And even when he would try to retreat from the crowds, they would always find him. They'd always chase him. So, so he and his disciples are heading to the other side of the lake. These other boats are like, well, we want to go where Jesus is going. Guys, get in the boat. Let's, let's go. That, that's what's going on here. And, and verse 37 says, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. If, if you've ever spent any time on the water, I bet you have, you, you know how fast all the weather can change. Like one moment, you're enjoying a sunny afternoon of fishing. It's all great. The, the next moment, you're pulling anchor, and you are racing for the shore. That, that's what's happening right here in the middle of this lake. Now, listen, these, these followers of Jesus, they were fishermen, They'd spent a lot of time out on the water before. They'd been in the middle of many storms before, but this wasn't just any storm. I mean, the, the water's not just getting a little bit choppy and the wind's not just swirling a little bit. No, the, the water is crashing. It's, it's beginning to fill up the boat. And, and here's the thing. I don't know a ton about boats, but I know this about boats, that they do really well when they're floating on water. They don't do very good when they're filling up with water. And so these disciples, man, they, they, they are panicked that they're seeing their life flash before their very eyes. And, and finally, when they don't know what else to do, they, they, they look to the one Jesus to see if he has any good ideas. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Can you imagine this scene? Like, this is a real story. This happened on a real afternoon one day. Like, the disciples, they're worried about drowning. And Jesus is drooling. <laughs> he's napping. He's my kind of a guy. Like, he's, he's comfortable in the back of the boat. His head's on a cushion. He's gone. Maybe you're taking a couple Dramamine. I don't really know what's going on. But Jesus, man, he is back there. He is so comfortable. He is in the middle of a great dream. And the disciples, they're shouting at him to wake him up. Jesus don't you care that we're going to drown? Don't you love when you're awakened by someone screaming in your face? I love it. And so I'm so fortunate that I have four children and several of them think it is so funny to scare dad awake. I've had like two heart attacks from that already. I hope they stop doing that before it's too late. But like they're scaring Jesus awake. Verse 39 says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then, then he asked them, why, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus spoke. And instantly the, the wind came to a screeching halt. And instantly the, the water was like glass. There was a great calm over the water. I've never tried to tell the wind what to do, but I don't think it would work. I've never given instructions to the water, but, but I don't think it would matter at all. Jesus told the wind and the waves to calm down and be quiet, and instantly the wind stopped and the water calmed down. And listen, this, this is a stunning scene, but it shouldn't be surprising. 
When Jesus told the wind and the waves to calm down, this is not the first time they had ever heard his voice. His voice was familiar to them because not long before that he had spoken and the wind and the waves had come into existence. And so it's not so surprising on an afternoon out on the lake when he said, hey, wind and waves, wind, you calm down and and water, you be still. They obeyed right away. And after causing the wind and the wave to calm, he turns to those disciples again and asks those words to say, "Why, why, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now, you have to remember that by this point in time, the disciples, they've been with Jesus for some time already. Meaning they've seen what he's capable of doing. Meaning they had watched his supernatural power be unleashed again and again and again already. There was a story we're told about in Mark chapter 1 just a couple of chapters ago. Where Jesus was out doing ministry. He was out amongst the crowds. He was always out amongst the crowds. And and this man that had leprosy came and he like threw himself at Jesus' feet. And and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You, You need to know about this guy with leprosy. When you were diagnosed with leprosy in the first century, I mean, it was, it was a death sentence, not just physically, but also uh, spiritually and emotionally and socially. When you found out you had leprosy, it was not go, go to the pharmacy and get some medicine, take two of these, you're going to be better. No, when you have leprosy, man, you go home and get your stuff packed up and say goodbye to your family because you're moving out of the house and you're moving out of your neighborhood and you're moving out to a leper colony far outside of town to make sure you never interact with anyone again. You're never going to touch your family. You're never going to see your, your family again. And you're not going to go to the temple and worship either because you're unclean and we don't want to be around people that are unclean. And so leprosy was this slow, sorrowful, painful death. And so this guy, he, he's got like everything to gain and nothing to lose. And, and so he goes, just, he's like, I know that guy's powerful. And he goes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. He said, if you're willing, I, I know you can make me clean. Jesus always responds to that kind of faith, you know? And he said, I'm willing. And he touched him. And he said, be clean. And he was. And the disciples had seen that. And then in Mark chapter 2, we go on and on. Mark chapter 2, Jesus is, is preaching in this house, incredible scene. And it's like standing room only. I mean, it should be if Jesus is teaching in a house. And like it's spilling out of the front doors. And people are peeking in the windows trying to hear what he's saying and what he's doing. And, and there was this group of friends that they wanted to get their friend to Jesus. It's a good thing to do with your friends, you know. And they couldn't get in there. There was not enough room. And they said, man, we're getting this guy to Jesus no matter what. And they climbed onto the roof of the home and they, they, they like started tearing through the thatch and the mud of the roof. They lowered the mat down in front of Jesus during the sermon. Rude. <laughs> and they lowered the guy down in front of Jesus. And he said, friend, pick up your mat and walk and go home. And he did. And these disciples, I mean, they'd seen these events happen over and over and over again. And now they're in the middle of like a storm out at sea and they're immediately convinced that they're going to drown. And then they're like shouting at Jesus, like, like, don't even care that we're going to drown. And that's when Jesus said to them, like, why why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus didn't directly ask those questions to us, but they'd apply to us because life's not always easy, right? The water's not always calm. The the wind is not always still. We we find ourselves, don't we, in the middle of financial ruin and relational strain and worldwide pandemics and and physical pain. And and in the midst of those times, it is all too easy to ask the same question the disciples asked Jesus. Do you even care? Have you asked that question? I have. And that, that question is not authored by faith, but by fear. 
We're fearful of what, what might happen or, or what might not happen. And our gut gets wrapped up in knots and our fists get clenched and our voice get raised and our blood pressure rises. And, and we start thinking, well, I mean, where is Jesus anyway? Just, is he not paying attention? Is, has he fallen asleep in the back of the boat? Because sometimes he apparently does that. And in those moments, some of you have experienced those moments. Some of you are in the middle of one of those seasons of life right now. We're in the midst of one of those moments. Man, it is all too easy for our fear to drown out our faith. And in those times, if you listen closely, I'm telling you, if you'll like take out the, the, the earbuds and like you'll turn off the phone or the Netflix, or whatever it is, if you'll, if you'll listen, you'll hear Jesus whispering to you, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I mean, in the midst of the chaos, it's so easy to forget about who Jesus is and what he's capable of doing. It's easy to forget that the one who spoke the wind and the waves into existence can still speak and calm the wind and the waves. Now, I need to tell you, he isn't always going to calm the wind and the waves, but you know what he promises he will do? Give you calm in the midst of the wind and the waves. And so when the wind and the waves are crashing and blowing, we've all got a decision that we've got to make in life day by day. And it says, will you allow your fear to drown out your faith? Or will you allow your faith to drown out your fear? Please know Jesus is not unaware of what's going on in your life. He's not incapable of doing something about it. He knows and he, and he cares and he's, and he's capable. And, and when you are in those moments, when the wind is blowing, when the waves are crashing, please be reminded who Jesus is, that when he spoke the wind and the waves into existence and he is still speaking, by the way, and when he speaks, the wind and the waves obey. We need to get to verse 41. I love this. It tells us the disciples were absolutely terrified. Now notice the shift here that has happened. Because we're told that the disciples were terrified, but you know the storm is no longer raging, right? They're not scared of the storm anymore. It seems that they have fear right now of the one who spoke and calmed the storm. In this moment, at least, they were terrified of Jesus. We tend to think of Jesus, I think, as this cute, cuddly little fella. He's nice to have around. He always behaves as P's and Q's. He always goes to bed on time and he never gets out of bed even once like my kids do a million times a night. But he's, he's a good guy. And he's, he's nice and he's, he's comfortable to have around. Nothing to really be terrified of, right? But when you begin to understand who he is and what he's capable of doing, when you start to understand his limitless power, listen, sometimes it's just appropriate to be terrified of Jesus. Over 300 times the Bible talks about Fear in regards to God. Proverbs 9.10 sums it up well. says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't have a healthy fear of God, I'm telling you, friend, you haven't even began to understand who he is yet. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. You hear that? Demons? The thing we're, we're scared of, demons, they're scared of Jesus. Why? Because they know. They know. I mean, I get goosebumps. They know. They're living behind the, that curtain of the eternal realm. They, they know. And so we've talked about choosing faith over fear because of who Jesus is. But we also need to just briefly talk about this idea of appropriately placing our fear. It tells us that the men, they, they were afraid of the wind and the waves. Their, their fear was misplaced. 
They should have been afraid, but not of the wind and the waves. And so when Jesus spoke and calmed the wind and the waves, they, they moved from fearing the wind and the waves to fearing the one who had authority over the wind and the waves. And, and I would just say it to you this way. When you fear God, there's nothing else and no one else to fear. It's simple. It's true. We've, we've got to learn an appropriate fear of God. And when I talk about having fear of God I, and Jesus specifically, I, I don't mean that you need to spend your days and nights curled up in a fetal position of your bedroom, sucking your thumb. If you enjoy that, you should, but that's not what I mean. Okay. What I mean is this deep sense of reverence for the one who has ultimate power and authority. Now don't mistake it as Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, We've been invited into the very presence of God. More than that, we have the very presence of God that is living deep inside of us. So we do not need to cower in the midst of the presence of God. But may we not also be flippant about the presence of God or ignorant about his power. When, when these disciples realized again what he could do, they appropriately placed their fear. And they asked themselves this question I love. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The Bible doesn't tell us about the rest of the boat ride. So I'm speculating a bit here, but, but I think it was just probably silence. As echoing over the glassy surface of the lake is this question. Who is this guy? They didn't fully understand the answer to that question, but they were absolutely asking the right question. Now, life, we ask a whole lot of questions. Um, early in life, in fact, uh, the very, one of the very first words that many of us speak, it's, it's a question. You, you know the question, it's right here, why? And I think God like hardwired this question into the mouths of our children just to like humble us as adults, right? It's like, why this and why that, daddy? And why this and how come? And it's like all these, all these questions. I think God used it to humble us. I'm telling you, I have four kids and before, before my four children, I knew I was pretty smart. Like I knew everything, just ask me. And I would tell you all about it. Like I was pretty much a genius in my opinion, right? I knew everything. And now these, these little twerps come along and they're asking all these why questions. Nine out of 10 questions. I don't even understand the question, let alone the answer to the question. And so four kids later, I have quickly realized I, not only am I not a genius, I'm dumb. <laughs> D-U-M dumb. Like I'm just dumb. And so, you know, we, we ask this why question. I think God does it to humble us, but it's just the first of many questions we ask. And then there's all these significant questions we start asking in life as we get older, like where are we going to go to school and who are we going to marry and what career are we going to have? And then like really, really deep ones, like who am I going to draft on my fantasy football team? Ma'am, that is a significant question, please. Okay, excuse me. All right, that's an important question. Please don't react that way. But then there's more shallow questions that we ask in life, like, you know, where am I going to eat today? And what am I going to binge on Netflix later on? And, you know, how many likes am I going to get on my selfie later this afternoon? And if that one doesn't do well, what angle of pose would get me a lot of likes? There's like all these questions in life we ask day after day after day. I, I don't know what your life is like. I don't know what question you wrestle with a lot, but, but I do know this. That no matter who you are, no matter what your life is like, the most important question you will ever encounter in this life is absolutely this question. Who is this man? In regards to Jesus, I mean, that, your faith, your life, your family, your eternity hinges on how you answer this question. 
And it may feel like I'm like overstating the significance of that question. No, if anything, I'm understating it. There's no way to overstate the significance of this question. Who is this man? All throughout his ministry, people are like turning to each other like, what? Who is this guy? Religious people and rebellious people and and rich people and and poor people and men and women and the elite and the overlooked, all the always out. Who is this man? They were asking that question early and often in his ministry. You, you go to the end of his ministry. He's, he's still asking the question, beginning of the ministry and the end of his ministry. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is, is getting ready to enter into Jerusalem for what in a sense will be the final time. And to fulfill prophecy of the Old Testament, he sends his disciples like, hey, go get me that colt, that donkey to ride on. It was, it was imagery of a king coming into the city. And, and he gets on that and he rides into the city. And listen, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 7, says that they brought the donkey and the colt and, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this man? And this question, friends, it's inevitable. It's unavoidable. In fact, during Jesus' own ministry, he posed that question to his own disciples. Luke chapter 9, Jesus, he's praying in a private place, and and he asks them to to his friends, he's like, hey, hey, who who do the crowds say I am? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say, well, you're Elijah, and still others, that, that one of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. But what about you? Who do you say I am? In regards to Jesus, our culture is very much the same. There's a whole lot of opinions about who Jesus is, isn't there? Um, some say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a wise philosopher. I love some of the ideas he has. I mean, he's a good teacher. He's humanitarian. He's a social commentator. He's a pop icon. He's a religious revolutionary. He's just, a, I don't know. He's just a name I use when I'm trying to curse. That's my favorite word I use. A lot of opinions about who he is. If If Jesus were standing here today teaching you, which would be like a major upgrade we can all agree on, okay? But if Jesus was standing here today, I know he he would, in in some point in the message, he would ask you two questions. First, he would ask you, he'd say, ma'am, sir, who do people say that I am? And uh, you may just go on and start sharing some of the examples I gave. Be like, well, Jesus, you know, some are saying this and some are saying that. And you may think, you know, you know what, Jesus, we should do. There's this thing called Twitter, Jesus. Let me take you to this dumpster fire of Twitter. And I'm going to show you what everyone's saying about you. Or Jesus, you can Google what everyone's saying. And then you would say all that. And then, and then he would just, he would wait for you to stop talking. And then he would say, who do you say I am? Who, who, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And some of you would be like Peter in that passage we just looked at, that you would automatically have an answer, and it would be a good answer and a solid answer, and you'd do that. But there, there may be some of us who would be like, man, how do I put that in just a few words? See, see, there's people, some of us, in fact, that, man, we've spent our part of our lives, or maybe our whole lives, like being around Jesus and singing songs about Jesus and even serving Jesus, but, but maybe never, ever actually paused in life to ask and answer this question, who is Jesus? And the way you answer that question, it will dictate so much about how you respond to Jesus, how you interact with Jesus, how you believe Jesus views you, the role you feel like Jesus is going to play in your life. We've got to talk about that for a minute. See, if Jesus is just a good teacher, if that's all he is, 
Then you're going to duck into the word of God every now and then, you know, to get a little nugget of wisdom or advice. We're like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm good to go. If Jesus is a humanitarian, then, then, then you're going to turn to him when, when you need some help or there's something you're lacking in your life. And if Jesus is just a religious revolutionary, then, you know, you're going to carve out some time for him on the weekends, unless there's like something better going on at that point in time. And if Jesus is, you know, just a pop icon, you're going to associate with him when it benefits you in some way. If Jesus is, is just your friend, he wants to be your friend, but, but if he's just your friend, then you're going to, you know, you're going to keep him pretty close, but there's some secrets you might keep from him and some compartments you might keep him out of. You see what I mean? That the way you determine who he is so much impacts the role and the interaction you're going to have with Jesus. Here's the deal. I keep asking this question. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? But I need you to know it's not an open-ended question. Meaning that you can't just like fill in the blank to that question however you want. Jesus is like, okay, I'm your co-pilot. Okay, I'm just friend. Okay, I'm your genie in the bottle. Okay. No, the more you learn about Jesus, you find that this question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? He leaves us very few options on how to actually answer that question. C.S. Lewis is um, a world-renowned author and He's written some incredible children's literature that has blessed many of our lives. We read the stories and watched the movies and loved it. But he was also a world-renowned theologian. And he developed this incredible idea he called Lord, Liar, or Lunatic in regards to Jesus. And his idea is that the more you study Jesus, the more you find out that there aren't many options to decide what to do with this super powerful guy. Listen to what he said. It's a little bit old language, but you'll understand the idea. He, he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg or else he'd be the devil of hell. You, you gotta make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and, and call him Lord and God or in this case, the goat. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us and he didn't intend to. I think you probably get C.S. Lewis's point. And I think he's right. But the more you do a series like this, and the more you focus in on Jesus, and the more you deal with this question, who is Jesus, you find out that there's really only a couple options. Is he the Lord, the goat, or he's the lunatic? So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is that question? It's not a threat. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to take another look at Jesus and one step closer to Jesus. And really, that's what this whole series has been all about. I didn't plan it, but I'm pretty sure that's what this whole series is all about, is, is just taking one step after another, after another, closer and closer and closer and closer to Jesus. All the while wrestling with this question, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let me pray for you. 
God, we're just so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful that not only did you come to earth and live and die and then conquer death to live again, but you, you documented his interactions with humanity so that we can open it up and study it again and learn from it again and, and be amazed and empowered again. Jesus, forgive us for the times when we've narrowed you down to be in this cute little cuddly Sunday school topic of conversation. When, when you're not just powerful, you're, you're the most powerful. I mean, you're the one that speaks and galaxies burst into existence. You're the one who speaks and, and people return from the grave. You're the one who speaks and, and the wind and the waves say, yes, sir. Yes, master. May we have the same spirit of submission. May we have the same sense of awe and wonder about who you are. Lord, I pray that we would be almost haunted by this question, who is this man, Jesus? And that you would answer that question for us tenderly again and again and again as you walk through life with us. We love you, but we know our love for you doesn't even pale compared to your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.